0: Tune to 102.73 RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty, as we've been saying for the last 20 odd years. My name's Bron Burton.
1: And I'm Cade Mills. Hi, Cade? Awesome this morning, Bron. It's good. a beautiful day out there and the beach is in my future today, so I cannot complain.
0: You're heading off to the beach today? Of course I You're am. You're saying. Yeah, right. it's one of awesome. those days.
1: Yeah, there's not much wind around, so I think just about any beach is going to be pretty good to... Get on board and um, get wet and salty today.
0: Very nice. Yeah. We've got uh, Kent in studio with us as well, and a big lineup. But before we get into that, thank you very much, Tim, for uh, wonderful vital bits. Thanks, Andrew, for soulful bits. Thank you, uh, Peter, Joseph Head, and Caitlin Sullivan for their new segment. I keep going to call it "Lost in Translation" music translations.
1: Yeah, it's been, been going for a while.
0: Songs, songs in Translations. Yes, is that
1: it? Yeah, Tim's yelling yeah. at you through the window.
0: Oh, got it finally. <laughs> Songs in translation. It was great.
1: was, yes. Really good. Yeah. Loved and it. Tim sporting a new haircut this morning. That mohawk is looking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
0: Today's program, uh, we're kicking off with a guest of yours, Kate.
1: Yeah, we've got Dr. Paul Carmel from Deakin University. I believe he's out on the water. So we're going to have to run a, run to schedule this morning, Bron. In and situ. Get onto him. Yes.
0: In situ, uh, And we're say. going to
1: talk to him about uh, blue carbon and sea urchins. How the two combine, and then also some of the stuff that's going on in Port Phillip Bay around sea urchins. We could talk to him for hours, but we'll um, have to try and keep it to ten minutes.
0: Now, I mentioned um in our uh, our on our social page, on our Facebook page, that we are also going to be talking about seagrass decline in Corner <coughs> Inlet. Are we doing that too?
1: That's part of the blue oh, carbon bit. Yeah, Got it's it. all interlinked, yeah. as everything is when it comes to ecology and marine science. That's right.
0: Hey, we're um, also going to be speaking with Neil Blake. He uh, is here as I believe his alter ego, Captain Trash, maybe as well. Neil's going to be talking about Summer by the Sea, so some of the programs that he did over summer or was involved in, and we mentioned some of those in the lead up to our summer break. Um, He'll also be talking about the Wooden Boat Festival in Geelong, so there's a lot of anticipation and excitement about that one.
1: Oh, maybe he'll run into the cabin boy while he's down there. He
0: probably will, actually. Yes. He's <laughs> also
1: brought his bamboozler into the studio, which we'll just leave it at that, won't we? It's Introduce a, it later.
0: It's a super cool. Well, I've already mentioned it on our Facebook oh, it's, page, so I might as well. It's, a, um, it's amazing. It's a musical instrument. You play it with thongs.
1: Of course you do. Yeah. yeah.
0: And every the entire um, instrument is made up of recycled and reclaimed um, bits and pieces. Lots of bamboo in there by the look of it. Oh, bamboozler. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> Welcome to the party, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, and uh, Neil's got some really cool stuff coming up in March, which we're going to give um, good promotion to as well. We're going to catch up with AJ down on the Mornington Peninsula um, about some growing concerns about the vulnerability of our wonderful spider crabs, this natural phenomenon that is the annual migration of spider crabs. Things got a bit out of hand last year um, and uh, in the sense of people thinking, okay here's a whole bunch of crabs in one place at one time. Let's go and get them and eat them. And, uh, things really did get out of
1: hand. Yeah, and last year was the first year that has actually become an issue. I mean, fisheries have had regulations around this for quite some time, but last year was the first year that people actually started to sort of take them from these sites. And so there's a bit of tension between divers and people that were catching them. And, look, they're just trying to work on a um, a happy resolution between that. I think they'll get to one.
0: Yeah, and I think that the tensions go beyond it's, you know, the usual tug of war between conservationists and and people who want to take the uh, animals that are trying to be conserved. But it went beyond that, and um, from people I know who are down there at the marina, uh, from a boating safety perspective as well, it was it it really did become a really huge issue. Yeah, look, at a safety I, issue as much. Yeah, as and it, they're planning
1: know. to get everyone together on the table, get all stakeholders um, together, and actually sort of work through and come up to some solutions with this. But it, these things tend to take time, so it'll be interesting to hear where they're at. And what's happening in the future?
0: Yeah, and I agree that these things do sometimes take time. For the spider crabs, they're on their way. You know, we know roughly when they're going to arrive, so it's not like you know these sorts of issues that maybe there's a, an infinite time period where it actually doesn't really matter. I mean, it does, but for this, the clock's ticking. They're going to yeah, be here. This needs th- to get sorted out. They have been working, before they this,
1: get here. working on this since last season. Yep. So it'd be interesting to get sort of an update as to where they're at at the moment. And, you know, hopefully things will sort of come to solution before they get in the bay.
0: Great. We'll catch up with AJ on that. And, And Jeff Maynard. Yay, Jeff's first segment for 2020. Soundwaves is the name of his segment. If you are new to Marinara, it is Jeff has been um, for a very long time now, bringing in a monthly or so segment where he has little audio grabs from movies, documentaries, um, TV shows from yesteryear, um, often with a bit of a, a B-grade schlock horror theme, or <laughs> usually featuring a nine, you know, a, a female marine biologist clad in bikini and spouting all sorts of rubbish. So um, anyway, he has a theme for this year. Last year's theme was sound waves meets blow waves. So it was sort of a, a 1970s, early 80s theme. Um, This year it's Soundwave Saves the World and um, Jeff says uh, science is proving powerless in the face of superstition. Science has to get mad to save the world. So this year we're going in search of mad science and what better place to start than the 1950s dive-in movies. So we're going to have a lot of fun this year. That's our show.
1: It is. Should I read out the weather? Yes, please. As I mentioned earlier, today's going to be a spectacular day. We've got sort of light winds with a top of 31. If you're heading out to the water or planning on getting in. High tide at Point Lonsdale is going to be at 12.27, so middle of the day. Great for a slack water sort of dive a few hours after. And the conditions must have... The surf conditions, this must have been written by someone who was having a tough day yesterday. (laughs) Very ordinary surf this morning, only for desperate board riders, which I don't believe them. That was for the surf coast. There's bound to be a wave out there somewhere. Um, If you're desperate or not, I'm sure you'll find a way to go and get wet and salty tomorrow we've got a top of twenty six with a couple of showers tuesday twenty eight with a shower or two and then it sort of drops back down again so wednesday twenty thursday twenty friday twenty and saturday twenty one so the next couple of days are going to be quite nice to get some sun and get out there but don't get too much sun and you'll end up or you'll end up like me having um, skin cancers cut out just recently oh really so there's my public health um, announcement as well for this week
0: I was wondering what the um the little bit of uh, gauze on your arm was. Yeah, well, oh, I'm planning wow. on getting
1: a scar so I can join Captain Trash as a oh, pirate. Nice. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're okay.
1: Yeah, I'm fine. It's all good.
0: Sorry, we're having this personal discussion. (laughs) That's a public health announcement. Absolutely. Let everyone
1: know it's the end of summer. Go and get checked out.
0: That's right. Uh, A couple of quick shout-outs and then we'll play a track. One is um, big thanks to um, Chris who sent this through and um, she she titled her message Infestation of Exotic Species. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And then there's a a picture and Captain Trash is going to be interested in this one as well. A whole lot of cigarette butts. And uh, which she found on the beach. Many flushed out of hiding by recent rain. Note particular subspecies found in localised distribution indicating more specific point of introduction to marine environment. So, of course, from the, the cigarette butts, you can draw uh, an inference of the the brand of cigarette, I suppose. Um Uh, If you find any of these pests on our beaches, please remove them. No specialised equipment, training or permits required. There are no bag limits applied to these threats to our (laughs) local marine creatures. Go for it. Nice, Christine. I probably wouldn't touch them with my hands. I'd probably use something to pick them up. Yes. You can be that
1: that person that people look at walking on the beach with tongs. Why not? Oh, that's it. Break the social norm. Make it normal.
0: (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. Um, A couple of quick plugs and then a track. So plug number one, uh mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Disabled Surfers Association, their Smiles on Dials, help us put smiles on dials. So they have an event coming up on 1st of March, which is next Sunday at Ocean Grove, Main Beach. Uh, get involved, volunteers, participants in all... Uh, surf events all abilities surf events and you can register online at disabled surfers.org registrations from 8am and uh, we have already put a link to that on our facebook page but i'll do that again so uh, good luck guys next weekend they always have a wonderful wonderful day
1: they do, doing a great turnout everyone gets on board it's, it's absolutely fantastic.
0: sensational uh and you know what 914 you're listening to radio marinara here on three triple r
1: and on the line we have Dr Paul Carnell, a research fellow at Deakin University's Blue Carbon Lab. He's a man of many interests, including mangroves, seagrass, kelp, urchins, wetlands, and I believe also sitting on his deck enjoying the view of the water at the moment. Um, thanks for joining us, Paul. And how are conditions from where you're sitting?
2: Oh, it's beautiful. It's a perfect morning to be out in Fort Phillip Bay on or, on or in the water.
1: Nice to hear. I believe you were meant to be out, but unfortunately you're probably just sitting there having a coffee and planning the rest of your day at the moment, aren't you? Yeah,
2: a few little boat maintenance things this morning and then uh, yeah, you get out later in the
1: week. <laughs> boat maintenance, I'm sure um, <laughs> Rex would be familiar with that. Uh, look, we've got a lot to talk about today and we, could, yep. we will be talking about urchins soon. However, before we get to that, could you just tell us what blue carbon is, seeing like you're part of a blue carbon lab?
2: Yeah, that's right. So the other half of my time, and I'm not doing sea and stuff, uh, we're out looking at the ability of mangroves and salt marsh and seagrass ecosystems to uh, capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere uh, and to store that in the ground. Um, and they're really important ecosystems for this because they can do it 20 to 40 times quicker than, say, a tropical rainforest or, or a normal rainforest. So. They're doing an amazing job for us, and, and storing all that extra
1: carbon that we're <laughs> releasing. <laughs> so you say 20 to 40 times quicker. So is that per hectare per acre, or is that sort of what yeah, the measurement is per, compared to? Yeah.
2: Yeah, per hectare per year. So because I guess once you have a big developed forest, all of that carbon is in the trees, and those trees aren't getting any bigger, then it's not trapping any more carbon. Whereas uh, the mangroves and salt marshes and seagrasses are storing all of that carbon each year into the ground, so they 're accumulating new soil and sediment, and it g- gets trapped into the ground each year and that's their, uh, yeah that 's their
1: amazing superpower as we call it yeah. so uh, that leads to perfectly to some work that you did over in um Corner Inlet, which is to the east of Wilson's Promontory, for those who don't know. On, the research was titled, The Overgrazing of Seagrass of Sea Urchins Diminishes Blue Carbon Stocks. Um, can you give us a quick summary of what, it was, what likely took you hundreds of hours of painstaking work? <laughs> and also, start off by telling us a bit more about urchins in seagrasses. I think a lot of people are aware of them on rocky reefs, but not necessarily that they're found on seagrass.
2: Yeah, so there's a few areas uh, across Victoria where, yeah, um, sea urchins can uh, get in really large numbers in in our seagrass meadows. And uh, we were made aware of the situation out in Nurmunga. I think it was originally from one of the local fishermen. Um, And he was really concerned about it because he could see that the sea urchins were eating out all the beautiful uh, posidonia seagrass meadows. And so he was really concerned about that then affecting... uh, his uh, fishing and so yeah along with park victoria uh after our deacon went out and uh with a big mapping boat and so yeah first of all we just looked at what was happening and counted sea urchins looked at the seagrass uh and there was almost uh kind of three four hectares worth of seagrass that had been uh, uh eaten by by uh lots of hungry sea urchins um and then so what then happened. We we realised once we were there and and uh, mapping it and taking a whole lot of samples, was that because the seagrass is no longer there, um, all of the sand and the sediment, so all that carbon that had been stored, uh, had then actually been slowly eroding away after that, um, and so we were, we could actually pick up a a, a, a depression. Uh, in the area where the seagrass no longer was.
0: Um, Paul, hi Paul, it's Bron. I was just... Um, hey, Bron. Hey, <laughs> just thinking specifically about urchins and why they can become so problematic. I know on the New South Wales South Coast there's a, there's a huge issue with them up there as well and it seems to come and go, but in, with sea urchins is, is part of the problem that they, they're so good, um, they've sort of evolved so well at protecting themselves with all those spines that the, their predators are sort of few and far between. Is that part of the problem?
2: Yeah, so uh, in Victoria, we don't have a lot of great information about what the real key predators are. In Tasmania, they've probably done a lot more work and uh, the rock lobsters are really key down there as one of their main main predators. Um, So, yeah, but in Victoria, we don't really have a great idea. I mean, obviously, we do have areas where where there's rock lobsters, um, but, yeah, certainly on seagrass meadows or in some of the shallower reefs of the bay where there's not really... Uh, many rock lobsters, um, yeah, it's hard to know what would have uh, kind of eaten them either now or or in the past. But yeah, so there's definitely the, uh, the predation uh, side of things. Um, and I guess the other side of things that we've been unwrapping um, a little bit more, uh, particularly in Port Phillip Bay, is also how the dynamics of the nutrient inputs and the climatic conditions um, can actually also influence the sea urchins Uh, mostly by the way that those things influence, say, the seagrass and the seaweeds and the kelp forest.
1: Before we get to Port Phillip Bay, I just wanted to sort of, I guess, wrap up the the study that you did over there. So you you obviously found that the um, beds had been sort of basically denuded and had disappeared i believe there's a lot of work being done again by the commercial fishermen they're quite phenomenal in corner inlet they have their own mm. code of conduct and they're also doing some work collecting seeds to try and bring back these seagrass beds aren't they so they're sort of like i guess a light at the end of the tunnel here
2: yeah absolutely so they're really doing kind of a, the a two-pronged approach so uh they from the outset were like well you know we'd love to fish these sea urchins. You know, there's certain parts of the world and uh, I guess a growing market in Australia where people do like to eat sea urchins um, and these urchins are still in good condition. So that, that actually can be can be harvested. So um, yeah, so the uh, Parks Victoria worked with uh, with uh, the Fisheries Authority uh, and then issued some uh, fishing permits for the sea urchins out in that area. So um, Parks originally did, uh, did do um, some culling work just to stop the expansion. Um, but then now uh, that's being maintained by the fishers out there. So, yeah, that's a really nice uh, solution sort of problem
1: out there. Uh. Uh, All right. Now let's move back to Port Phillip Bay, as I know a lot of listeners are quite sort of familiar with it, and you've been doing some work recently. Um, I believe it was the Port Phillip Bay Fund allowed you to go out and set up some experiments uh, in some of the... and Parks Victoria. Can you tell us a bit more about that work?
2: Yeah, so we've got uh, two um, two kind of sea and programs happening. One is, um, yeah, the one, like you mentioned, from the Port Phillip Bay Fund, uh, where we've been working uh, in Jawbone and Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, so uh, working with South Park Victoria, um, to, yeah, set up some trial uh, culling areas. Um, I guess uh, us and and uh, the state government and fisheries and past, are all interested to see, OK, so we have more of a feeling that this is an issue in Port Phillip Bay, uh, so if we can do some trial culling areas um, uh, inside the park um, and being done by us and the Parks Victoria staff and a few volunteers, um, can that also help help our manage the issue? So um, yeah, we're about uh, a year and a half into, into that work. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're definitely realizing it takes a lot of time and effort from, you know, divers, you know, getting them out in the water and on boats uh, to do some of this work. Um, so that's been a big learning curve, um, but we're, yeah, we are also seeing that if you can get out there often enough, um, so every few months, um, for some of these small areas we're looking at that, yeah, you can kind of maintain the urchin numbers low enough, um, that, yeah, you can start to slowly see some, some, recovery in those areas. Um,
1: and by, so we, sorry, yeah, sorry, by issue you mean basically the urchin barrens and the loss of kelp habitat or a habitat.
2: Yeah, that's right. So um, I think I've chatted on this program before, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, that's some of the work we were doing documenting the historical uh, kelp forest and seaweed cover on, on the reefs in Port Phillip Bay and the sea urchin numbers. Um, and what we've really seen with that work is that the numbers have really spiked in, in uh, the last uh, 20 years, uh, the uh, number of sea urchins, um, and we've seen big declines in the, in, in the amount of kelp cover on the reefs uh, particularly in the northern part of the bay, uh, the southern end kind of around near Port Phillip Heads um, is much less affected
1: Um and the the plan for the future is I believe you've been out surveying a lot of the reefs sort of in and around the bay and the plan is to learn from the results of the experimentation that you're doing at the moment and then look at ways you can implement it to help other areas, I guess in a controlled way um, so that it's, you know, we can understand what the impacts are and do it in a, a way that we can measure the benefits and then roll that out as we go along um, as opposed to just people going out willy-nilly and smashing urchins.
2: Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, we're really... Yeah, this program is really working with the state government, with, uh, with uh, the fisheries authority, with Park Victoria, uh, and also with the with the uh, sea urchin fishes in the bay. So there are a few fishes in the bay, um, and I guess the bay is a lot more complex in some ways because there are some really healthy areas uh, where the urchins might be coming into, but there's also areas that have been what we call a sea urchin barren, so very you know basically no cover of any seaweed, lots of sea urchins. There's been areas like that in parts of the west of the bay for probably the last good 10, 15 years, which means that those sea urchins are in very low condition, which means you actually can't harvest them. Um, but then you do get ones in other areas that are still in good condition and could be harvested. Um, and they are uh, a, a fishery species. So, yeah, there's a very delicate balance between uh, fisheries managing a fishery and the sea urchin fishes uh and then obviously trying to manage the the uh, environmental issues um and so yeah we've just completed a full baywide survey of the sea urchins and the cover of the seaweeds on the reef um, and we'll be sitting down soon to look at yeah what are those really problem areas uh and how can we best target them with kind of a coordinated approach uh from yeah the state government from fisheries and from us um and, yeah, we really need to do that before, yes, like you say, uh, we, we start going off and, you know, uh, doing uh, whatever we want. We really need to do our work to a plan uh, with this one.
1: Look, like I think we finish every interview in Radio Marinaro, we're going to have to get you back in and hopefully drag you off your deck at some stage to join us in the studio for a more in-depth conversation about urchins, particularly in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, Look, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of your day, Paul. Great. Thanks so much, Kate, and thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks, Paul. It's been great. And, yeah, we'll definitely um, get you back in studio because this this issue isn't going away. Um, We know we've got some interest from our listeners as well who want to know more about urchin coals and why they're necessary, and we've sort of touched on some of that today. But, yeah, to pick this one up some more will be really great. Yeah, sounds great. Okay.
1: Cheers. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Thank you.
0: Bye. Dr. Paul Carnell.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to discuss there. I know there's a lot of interest from divers and snorkelers and those who are often visiting our reefs and particularly those that have been doing it for a long period of time. They have a lot of stories about how things have changed over time and I know that's also part of the work that gets done is they do listen to some of those people that have been around for a long time to hear about what conditions were like back in their day.
0: Yeah, and that question of predation I think is a really important one because sea urchins at some point are larvae and then at some point after larvae they're little tiny sea urchins and maybe something was feeding on them that is maybe not there anymore.
1: Who knows? It's wow! It's like all ecological questions—you unravel one, and you open up another hundred. (laughs) So it keeps people, keeps us busy. That's the great thing about science, isn't it?
0: It is nine twenty-six, nearly nine twenty-seven. We're heading. You're listening to Radio Mara. Good morning, Neil. Good day.
3: How you going, Mara? Very well.
0: It is a lovely day indeed. Um, Now, with so many things we're going to talk about, let's quickly do a wrap-up of some by the sea. How did that go?
3: Yeah, it was fantastic, uh, although it was a bit smoky, uh, the fires, and uh, I think I was fortunate in the shell surveys that I conducted, about seven of them, um, the smoke wasn't that intense that we actually had to call any activities off, but I believed quite a number of uh, activities in the overall program had to be cancelled. Mm, so not
0: surprising. No, so no. it
3: was a really unusual summer.
0: Did you uh, You still have people coming along?
3: Yeah, yeah, it was good. We had, the, you know, the usual up um, and uh, collected the data, so it was fantastic. And what was exciting for me was that it um, uh, culminated 10 years of uh, shoreline shell surveys at the same locations. So the, the interesting things are starting to emerge, you know, in terms of uh, which species are, are quite common around the bay and others that are very rare. Uh, so And also... The different regions of the bay. So there's more shell biomass, for example, in the northern part of the bay than in the south.
0: And that's just that's volume Yeah, when we're talking about right. biomass. It's not about diversity. No. No.
3: Well, actually, diversity in the north too, yeah. So amazingly, Altona had the... Of the sites that we'd surveyed at least five times over the 10-year period, that had the greatest diversity.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Of the rare species that you mentioned... Any particular areas that you want to mention now? Or are you going to kind of save this up and have it as part of a report?
3: Well, it's one to which, uh, I mean, I've put together a report, but I mean, it's hard to actually come to any conclusions about those rare species, you know, where you've found only after 180 surveys around the bay and there's only been one or two examples or specimens of a particular species found years apart.
4: What what can you say?
0: Mm. Let's turn our attentions to this uh, bamboozler.
4: Ah, well, I'm glad you said that there, Ron. Captain Trash has suddenly popped in. Great to be here on Radio (laughs) Mariner. That's got three R's, you see.
0: Neil's just stepped out of the studio, but it's great Captain Trash is here. Tell us about the bamboozler, Captain Trash.
4: Well, you see, uh, when we were coming, we were sailing the seven seas back in the old days. It took years to get across here, and we kept on saying to Mum, Are we there yet? (laughs) And after a while, we just said, Arrgh. Uh, anyway, she wasn't happy about that either. She said, make your own fun. So we fished around and, you know, thing's floating by and there was this stuff that we managed. There was a, a drum c- cask there that, uh, and uh, some bits of bamboo and a few bits of rope and stuff. So we put this thing together
1: uh, to make a musical instrument.
0: It's a fairly... Sorry, cage. I oh,
1: know there's no whiskey left in that drum. No, no, oh, no, or rum. Sorry, there's no rum in the drum.
0: Sadly, no. Now this is a very spectacular looking instrument, and it is. Uh, we've put a picture of it on our Facebook page. If you want to go and have a look, it's it's a it's a circle of very large pieces of bamboo, kind of all held together by this drum with strips of hessian That's holding right. it all together. Uh, yeah. hessian and
4: Cotton there, they're the uh, things that are holding it together. And is that what's
0: used to tune
4: it? Oh, know the bamboo right. is cut to a particular length, you oh. see, to get the semitone. Each one has to be 5.6% shorter than the last one. Really? And that gives you the whole, uh, yeah, that's right. That's so.
0: fascinating. So did you get some guidance from a musician or someone who's specifically trained in creating drums or percussive instruments?
4: Oh, well, there'd been some people who'd made some out of um, what do they call that PVC pipe, you know, that modern stuff. Uh, we didn't see none of that floating around the ocean when we were on the rock and roll. Uh, so we just used the bamboo, you know, just like uh, the natural stuff.
0: Nice, nice. And and, and the, the piece de resistance, the icing on the cake, is the fact that you play this with rubber thongs.
4: That's right. You find them floating around too, you see. And uh, so the good thing is that... The, any, you, you can actually have several people play it at the same
0: time. Can we have a little demonstration?
4: Well, we got anyone else who wants to have a go? On you, Kate. I'll your jump head. on board. Okay.
0: <laughs> you ready, Kate? You heard it first <laughs> here on Radio. Julie McGooseless. You have to say,
2: Arr,
4: lar, Arr, ar.
0: This is, this is quite spectacular. You Does the bamboozler go with you wherever you go, Neil? If, well, for, for people who maybe want to... Um, get, do you take bookings?
4: I find it hard to carry my treasure chest and the bamboozler at the same time. But, uh, you know, I, I do uh, go to early learning centres, but uh, sometimes, you know, the... Kids
1: kids are a little bit shocked by
2: this. Uh...
1: <laughs> Can we find you a drum circle down at St Kilda there? I think Whoa. you'd fit in quite well. <laughs> I'll give anything a try, Excellent. anything a try.
0: Hey, uh, thanks, Captain Trash. That was fabulous. And before we let you go, can we just get Neil back in studio because we just need to. I feel like uh, <laughs> who
4: needs that oh,
3: well. <laughs> I
0: suddenly feel like I'm an exorcist. <laughs> can, we, can we? It's
3: okay, everyone. I've... <laughs> He's gone now. He's gone.
0: We do love it when Captain Trash arrives in studio. Um, what have you got coming up in March?
3: Well, there's the Wooden Boats Festival, the Geelong Wooden Boats Festival, which uh, Captain Trash might be appearing oh, at. Fabulous. But there's going to be a, a Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack Sparrow, down there apparently. Ah. Yeah. So it's a pretty special festival. It goes for four days, between Friday the sixth and uh, Monday the ninth. And they're going to have a best dressed pirate there. So they want uh, kids to get together for a treasure hunt at uh, one thirty on the Sunday. Yep. And then a best dressed pirate, so that'll be really interesting. Great music, all that sort of stuff. So I recommend that that uh, event anyway. Brilliant. Uh, then uh, on the 13th of March, Friday the 13th, I'll be involved in a an event called a day B- on the bay. Yep. It's a teachers' PD, so it's not just open to all comers, uh, and people uh, teachers can actually uh, book for that. Uh, it is a paid. Event too, But it's an all-day thing. We're starting off with a trip on the Polperro Dolphin Swim Spot. Oh, great. From Sorrento. That's around about 8.15. And then the afternoon, though, we'll be uh, at Badco Hall in uh, Point Nepean National Park. And there'll be a number of presentations, including myself, talking about uh, plastic uh, pollution. With uh, Pete Linder, who's a geography teacher. So, all of these things are related to curriculum uh, activities and, and directions that teachers are interested in following. Uh, in reptile encounters, they'll be giving a presentation. And then, Judy Muir from Paul Perro and I will be doing a uh, shoreline shell survey and talking about the impacts of climate change on the coast.
0: That's wonderful.
3: Yeah, so it should be a great day.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Neil. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming in. We'll catch up with you again in March and um, and report on how that day went and yeah. other events that you've got coming up.
3: Well, thank you, Brian. Enjoy. <laughs> it's been Bye. great having
0: you here. Without further ado, good morning. Welcome to 2020, Jeff Maynard.
5: Good morning, Brian. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. And yourself, great to have you back.
5: I came in at the right time. Yeah, because I was sitting in the green room listening to all this stuff about spider crabs down at more and I've got the solution, because this year Sound Waves um, saves the world. Yes, and um, because I came to the realization that uh, science has got an uphill battle. Mm. You know, science can have all the all the you know trash in the ocean, global warming stuff. Nobody's listening because um, uh, belief, people will go for belief before they actually go for science, and mainly, I think, because science means you have to take responsibility, whereas belief, you believe in... Something else, whether it be a di- deity or, or just the fact that someone else will pick up the trash on the beach. You just, you know, so belief doesn't give you a responsibility. So science has to get angry, and uh, mad, actually mad. And I thought we're better to find mad science than nineteen fifties uh, black and white movies. So I've done that, and I've got a good one for today because, uh, here's the answer for all those spider crab issues down at Mornington. Um, we're going to dump a whole lot of black and white movie, a whole lot of people running around, black and white women in push up bras. We're going to dump them on a beach in a little island in the Pacific somewhere and let these scientists um, figure it out.
2: seething burning cloud of it sank into this area, blanketing the island with hot ashes and radioactive seawater. Dr. Vigon's group is here to study fallout effects at their worst. Dr. Carl Vigon is a nuclear physicist. He'll collect their findings and relate them to the present theories on the effects of too much radiation.
5: But this is the second bunch of brains to come out
4: here. What happened to the first?
2: They were here. And a storm hits, and then we're gone. That's all anybody knows. Mm.
5: So can you imagine sending a bunch of scientists down to Rye or Blair Area or somewhere like that, and they just disappear? Mm. You know, that, That's going to get the attention. So anyway, uh, there's <laughs> usually, finally, a theme, there's usually a bit of sort of nuclear fallout at the start of all these things. Anyway, these scientists are wandering around this island somewhere, and they start disappearing one by one. But then the remaining scientists who are still alive start hearing their voices. And so over this sort of intercom that they have in this little shack on the beach or whatever, the, the, the scientists start coming on the intercom and, and talking to them.
4: Dr. Berger.
0: Where are you?
4: Where all of you soon will be. I shall be back tomorrow night. Bonsoir. What does it mean, doctor? He is dead. But he spoke, Carl. It's supposed to be a ghost story? No, I do not believe in ghosts. We are dealing with a man who is dead, but whose voice and memory live. How this can be, I do not know. But its implications are far more terrible than any ghost could
5: ever be. And at about this time, giant crabs start wandering around. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Not spider crabs, but huge. They're about the size of a of a small sedan car and um, they just have this one claw because you see the shot where someone walks into the room and this big claw comes out and bonks them on their (laughs) head and they fall down from this massive giant crab Uh, so yeah giant crab so anyway they get a little bit off the claw or something and and uh, the scientists thank you again uh, they take it in they stick a little bit under the microscope and they start figuring out these are like Sort of like, um, you remember Metal Man in Terminator that was sort of fluid? Yeah, well, these are like giant, fluid, funny-looking crabs.
4: The structure of this crab is entirely disrupted. Apparently, we have one of those uh, biological freaks resulting from an overdose of uh, radiation poisoning. It's like a mass of liquid with a permanent shape. Any matter, therefore, that the crab eats will be assimilated in its body of solid energy, becoming part of the crab.
2: Like the bodies of the dead men
4: and their brain tissue that means that the crab can eat his victim's brain absorbing his mind intact
5: and working once they were men now they are land crabs
0: (laughs) this is fantastic isn't this the answer (laughs) yeah i
5: mean we want some of these down the mornington peninsula we really do They're, they're giant Land crabs, you know, you'll you wander out sort of the rye jetty and think, oh, I'll nick off a couple of these crabs and put them in a little plastic bucket and take them home, you know, and it's like, it just goes, <laughs> and absorbs you. <laughs> Let's I can think, think of a few other places I'd send them as well. Oh, look, this, I, I tell you, we've got the answers here. Um, and anyway, where are we? Oh, yeah, anyway, the, the, there's a few people left. They're running around the island. The guys have sort of got their shirt undone and the people are screaming and the, the giant big claw is sort of coming in the edge of the shot and bonking them on the head <laughs> and all this sort of stuff and they're trying to get a message to the Navy to say come and rescue us there's these giant man sort of half eating crabs um, and they're trying to figure out what to do with it so anyway we'll, 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 we'll get rid of these crabs
2: That fire won't hold it very long or just so it holds it long enough for me to get one message away. Oh Hank you must get through
4: I know it. It's gone dead <laughs> I am afraid that it won't help you Hank by the time ships and planes can arrive, this island will have vanished beneath the waves of the sea. But you will not learn. You will be a part of me. And as with MacLean, there will be no evidence of how you vanished or of my existence. We will rest in the caves and plan our assault upon the world of men.
1: Wow.
5: Easy. <laughs> That's all we need. A little bit of nuclear fallout. giant. Flesh eating crabs oh. that can absorb brains. whole thing solved.
0: How Hope. did it end? And what was the movie called?
5: Oh, Attack of the Giant Crabs or something. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: It about, it's, right. it's usually
5: about. I think it was Roger Corman or something. Okay, no, he, he cranked these things out in the weekend. You know, he, yeah. He, he sort of just. Uh, uh, oh, there was one guy in it, um, the professor from Gilligan's Island. Ah. He was running around there somewhere with his shirt half undone. I forget his name, Russell Johnson or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, he he was in it. Yeah, yeah. He he was running around. He was about the only person you recognised. Uh, but it was it was excellent fun.
0: Brilliant. Science saves the world, but it has You're to get mad first.
5: World. Yes.
0: What have you got lined up for next time? I don't know.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I don't plan this, Bron. That's just how we like it. I look at the calendar for Saturday and think, oh, goodness, Radio (laughs) Maradona tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Well, we look
0: forward to having you in a few weeks' time. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks to our other guests today, Neil Blake um, and Captain Trash with his bamboozler. um, To AJ talking to us about spider crabs and Dr. Paul Carnell from Blue Carbon Lab about uh, seagrass loss and urchin involvement. Should we call it that?
1: Yeah, urchin numbers around Port Phillip Bay and what they're doing about it. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Brian.
0: Thank you so much, Kent. And I was going to say Kent's in agreement, but he's not. He's right here and uh, he's going to stick around for radiotherapy and followed by Einstein a gogo. And also, just before we go, mentioning congratulations, Lincoln, uh, from Practical Ecology, a business subscription, who won the prize to the Mordialic Food and Wine and Music Food wine Music Festival. So congratulations, Lincoln. Thank you, everybody who called. Next week, Ant and Dr Beach are going to be in the house and uh, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about, but we'll work something out so it will be absolutely wonderful listening. For you, have yourselves a wonderful Sunday. If you can, get out and enjoy this magnificent weather and uh, we'll catch you next Sunday for more more marinara. I'm going to go and have a coffee. Bye for now. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.